Do you want us to keep producing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there? If so, there's a way you can help. If you enjoy this show, please consider donating to help us pay for the cost of making it available. You can do so by using the PayPal link in the description of the podcast or on social media sites where we post it. Even a small donation would help. Thanks in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to a special edition of Rams Rewind, the podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. This special bonus episode is reacting to breaking news for the Rams. And now, here's George. All right, folks. Yeah, this was totally unplanned. I was working all day, and I did see the news about this particular issue that, the that in fact, a federal judge in West Virginia has granted a temporary restraining order against the NCAA's uh, rules against multi-time transfers and has allowed everybody who's a multi-time transfer that's been denied an opportunity to play, that has, not, that has been forced to sit out a year, to now be eligible. And further to that, to be eligible and play, and if it, if it ends up being overturned and the NCAA ends up winning, there will be no penalties for the schools that, pl- pay, that play these players while they're eligible. However, I'm not as au fait on everything that's happened, and I'm filling myself in now. And for that, I'm going to turn you back over to my producer, Steve Mullen, who is joining me and who's been following this story all day long. I have been following this story. I uh, I kind of dove into a gigantic rabbit hole the minute this thing happened. So what was the ruling? Here's the deal. Seven state attorneys general sued the NCAA in court in northern West Virginia using the test case of a Raekwon Battle, who's a player from University of West Virginia. Virginia's attorney general did not sign on to the case, so Virginia was not involved, but they were supporting it. And Joe Bamisil from VCU was called to be a witness. So Joe was scheduled to speak but was told by the judge that he wasn't needed. He actually said, thank you for dressing up and being here, uh, but we don't need you. Joe did make a statement and then was dismissed. And then the judge came back with a ruling that for the next 14 days, starting on Wednesday, the 13th of December, the NCAA cannot enforce its transfer rules. Uh, He said he will make a full ruling 14 days later, December 27th. The judge also said that the NCAA cannot take retribution over players who immediately use their new eligibility. So what this means, it's a little up for debate, but it's assumed to mean that they cannot force teams to retroactively forfeit games where those players entered the game. So for instance, a Joe Bamisil or a Raekwon Battle, if they go into a game, they cannot later say you used an ineligible player and thus the game has to be forfeited. We've also seen one report, at least one report, that says the NCAA has clarified that if those players enter the game during the 14-day window, they will not lose their eligibility for this year if the court then reverses and rules in favor of the NCAA, and thus the rules revert back to where they were before. So, what does this ruling mean for Joe Bamisil? From VCU. You recall Joe played at Virginia Tech, George Washington, Oklahoma, and now is at VCU. 
His waiver for immediate eligibility was denied and then denied again on appeal. Today's ruling means that he is immediately eligible to play at least for the next 14 days. That means he could play against Temple this weekend and Maryland Eastern Shore on the 22nd. So there's a lot of speculation that they may settle this suit and make every transferring player eligible for the rest of this season, uh, this basketball season. That is speculation. We don't really know. There's also the chance this drags out in court and all players are eligible for this basketball season. Again, speculation. But, you know, if the if the court rules against the NCAA on the 27th, most likely the NCAA, well, not most likely, possibly the NCAA may say we are appealing. Well, the ruling will stay in effect until that appeal is heard. It's a pretty decent chance that guys like Joe Bamisil are eligible past that 14-day window and into the rest of the season. So let's look at what this ruling means for the team. Let's do some analysis, and that's what George is all about. George, what does this ruling mean for the team? I think the the clarity on whether a player can lose eligibility or not if they play the two, in this case, it would be two games for Joe Bamisil, and then the and then the judge decides on the 27th, all right, the NCAA's right, uh, which by the way, I don't think is gonna happen, and I'll explain that in a minute. That they that they may lose a year's worth of eligibility. So for me, I think that there needs to be clarity on that before you absolutely insert Joe Bamisil in the lineup. And I agree. There has been one media report from a uh, a source called Front Office Sports, and I'm not familiar with them, mm-hmm. but they did say that the NCAA had clarified to them that if players uh, in the you know this this group of transfer players who were kind of in limbo, like Joe Bamisil. Uh, if they play in that 14-day window, they will not lose the whole year. And that's oh, the right. important well, part. Well, okay, so we'll assume that that's the case that they Let's won't. Let's assume that, yes, just for the I, sake I'm of also, this podcast. I'm also going to assume that there's going to be a ruling the 27th or 28th after they do this hearing because that's not the sort of thing that you're going to let go over the New Year's holiday. Uh, you know, the, things like this, I think they – I think especially federal judges – they usually move pretty quickly because, again, if there's going to be appeals, you want to kind of get that in the pipeline going here, and you don't want it to drag out. And the NCAA will not want – if they lose, they will not want to wait two or three months or four months or even five or six months to appeal this. They're going to want to get this going up the up the ladder, even if it has to go all the way to the top of the judicial food chain. Uh, I think they're going to want to do that pretty quick. So I'm I'm guessing that Judge Bailey, when he hears this here, when he gets this hearing on the 27th, he's going to rule by the 28th or the 29th. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah, the 28th and 29th, that's the Thursday, Friday before the New Year's holiday. And I would I would be stunned if it went beyond that. Now let's talk about Joe Bamisil. Joe Bamisil was an All Conference A10 player. For those of you. Who don't do do not know a lot about Joe Bamisil? You can refer back if you'd like to the episode that I did on Rams Rewind during the summer with Jamie and Christian, who coached him at George Washington. He was an All Conference player there, uh, third team All Conference, averaging 16 points and five boards a game, averaging 18 points a game in conference play, and could absolutely fill it up. 
a very good shooter from the floor, 45.8%, which for a guard, especially a high-volume shooter, which Joe Bamisil was, is pretty good. 35% from three. You really can't argue with that either. You're looking and, – and it would give VCU yet another option outside as they might be starting to to find, the, find their range as a team from behind the arc. They certainly did – on on this in the previous game against Alcorn State, so I think from those perspectives, and the fact that he's been, you know, that he's been such a part of the program already, and he's so well liked and respected, you know, I really think the boost here could be gigantic. And of course, if you throw that in with the fact that it, yes, at some point we're going to get Sean Barristow back, all of a sudden you have a backcourt that's absolutely loaded with productive players gives VCU a lot of options and a lot of different lineups they can play and maybe allows them to to not overextend players the way they've had to in certain games. And we could see a very a, a VCU team where players aren't running out of gas at the end, which you could argue maybe cost them the Iowa State game, maybe cost them the Boise State game, maybe cost them the Memphis game uh, You know, just a little bit ago because they had to play so many minutes. If, if you get Bama still and Barristow back, then really you don't have to play Shulga 37 minutes. You don't have to play Zeb Jackson 37 minutes anymore. And I and again, you all of a sudden have a whole lot of firepower and a whole lot of different ways you can do it. You've got, all, you've got so many guys that can handle the basketball, uh, which is going to make it more difficult to trap and press, which we've seen VCU have trouble with. And you're just going to have so many scores on the floor that you just will not be able to – you will continue to have tr- trouble trying to pigeonhole or stop this guy or the offense is going to run aground if you stop him. Not the case at all. So I have to tell you, I know the the, 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 the non-conference portion of this schedule has been frustrating because of the, of the tight defeats against big teams with big opportunities. But if we if, if VCU really is going to have Joe Bamisil and Sean Barstow either starting from this Saturday or by next Friday against, against the following Friday against Maryland Eastern Shore, this is a completely different team. And I think my biggest thing is, and here's the argument for playing Joe Bamisil right away. You got three games in the non-conference before conference play starts, and you want to get him integrated right away. And if Barristow is coming back, whether it's Saturday or the following Friday, you want to get him integrated right away so that when St. Bonaventure comes calling January 3rd, these players are in the rotation. They're used to playing with them. And then Ryan Odom and the coaches have figured out a way to play with those guys a part of it. My biggest concern is that it would be absolutely cruel to play Joe Bamisil and then have the rug pulled out from under him. And I would – I mean, that would just – I don't know what it would do to that kid who's been through a lot already as it is. And I don't, I don't even w- want to imagine this is finals week, and I presume he's got finals or term papers that are due. And here he goes and preps with a lawyer to testify on behalf of the attorney generals of seven states. These Most of these people are people who are elected by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And Joe Vamisil is getting to represent them in a sense and then kind of has the rug pulled out from under him there. I I don't want to do anything to put more on Joe Bamisil than has already been put on him because, you know, it's a it's a huge strain that he's going through right now. 
And I really don't think, though, I mean, just this is my opinion, and I am not a lawyer. Um, neither of us are lawyers, for sure. But if you look at the way this could play out, could easily play out, I think you're looking at two weeks, and then the judge makes another ruling. So the judge makes another ruling. So let's say it's on. It's in the favor of the seven states and Raekwon Battle and Joe Bamisil and everybody else. Then the NCAA probably or possibly goes back and appeals. So this thing drags out and drags out and drags out. I don't see too many situations where he's just not available for the rest of the season. I really, really don't. These things don't go quickly. I do hope you're right. I, I will add this. I've I have said from the jump that this that this waiver rule wouldn't wouldn't hold up in court because to me it's it's your dictionary definition of restraint of trade, which is an antitrust violation. That's exactly what not, they're saying about it. Exactly, and, and it's not like this is collectively bargained. Like the the pro to, for those that don't understand the reason pro organizations can say like the NFL can say you have to be three years away from your high school graduation before you're eligible or the one and done rule in the NBA or the rules that they have in baseball where you can jump straight as a high schooler. But if you go to college, you got to go for three years. Those things are collectively bargained between the labor union and, and the organization that they work for. And that's where that comes in. So restraint of trade is allowed when it's collectively bargained, but this is, that's not the case here because obviously it's not as if there's a college basketball players union. There are att- there there have been attempts and ongoing attempts to form one, and there's talk that if the NCAA's proposal that Charlie Baker's talked about about allowing schools to directly compensate happens, there may be a move towards that kind of unionization. But that's not where we are right now. Well, and the other interesting thing is that so really what this comes down to is it's a non-compete. It's a non-compete yes. regulation, and. These are not employees. That's College right. players are not employees. So how can you enforce a non-compete? I mean, personally, I'm not sure how much I'm in favor of the wild, wild west. Do whatever the heck you want. But it's hard to argue and make a case for it or rather against it. Well, and I would add this. The principle here is that the NCAA set this rule and wasn't consistent with it applied it in arbitrary and capricious fashion and that's why that's why I feel like they're going to lose in court if they came back with absolutely clear guidelines because yes it would be not we really don't want a situation although that may be where we're headed where people are transferring pur- purely because they got a better NIL deal over here and that's what they're doing mm-hmm. we don't want that but that may be where we're headed but we it, do it, want that would be the wild wild a, west I was talking about, and I don't know that it's a good thing for anybody. I understand that, but I think that might be where we're headed. What would, what would if you had a clear standard? You know, your coach gets fired. You're you've got you've got your you you're moving closer to home, which is supposed to matter, and, and for some reason, in Joe Bamisil's case, didn't. You know, other certain reasons. You you your your family has moved. Whatever it is, you're you're. you're a, a myriad of different things. If there were clear, delineated standards for it and they were adhered to all the time consistently, this lawsuit wouldn't happen. And so that the NCAA can can avoid the wild, wild west if they can come back with some rules that they're going to apply fairly because 
it is really hard to sit there in front of a judge and say, okay, we denied Joe Bamisil even though he absolutely f- fulfilled some of the some of the requirements to allow a multi-time transfer, and yet Efton Reed gets to do a multi-time transfer to Wake Forest, and he's not moving home, and he doesn't. And there's these other and there's the other things that didn't that weren't satisfied, and and of course the other the other thing that I I think the NCAA has to answer is okay if you graduate that's great. But why are grad transfers okay and no problem? People who haven't graduated aren't. I mean, that's to me, that's another issue that they've got that that probably is an equal protection problem. Absolutely true. So let's assume for a moment here, Joe Bamisil is available for the rest of the season. So uh, really, for the next two weeks, this is a, this is a question: Who will lose minutes? Well, hopefully. I mean, and and I know how this is going to sound, but I hope everybody does. And I and I don't mean that in terms of well, now everybody's going to be nailed to the bench. No, what I mean is I want, I do not want to see. And I had this issue with the previous coach. When you have this kind of depth, I never wanted to see people playing more than thirty minutes, really, unless they were scalding hot, unless somebody is playing so well and is so on fire. That you just you you absolutely have to play them. I don't ever want want to see when you have really good depth and a lot of really good players. Anybody playing more than thirty minutes a game because the the idea here is to keep them fresh for the end. Now we're looking. I'm looking at the season box score right now. Shoga's played thirty four minutes a game. Zeb's played thirty four minutes a game. Nelson's pay, played almost twenty six minutes a game. And for me. That's a problem. At least the first two are. And you can't deny this. You look at some of these shooting percentages from these guys. Shulga's barely over 40% from the field. Zeb Jackson's at 38.8. And Zeb's a, is, is 25.8 from the three-point line. Max is under 35%. He's almost at 35%, which is not bad. It, it's undeniable that they're that they've had these struggles at the end of these games because they've had to play so many minutes. So in that respect, I want them to play less minutes, and I kind of want to. I want to have everybody in that, you know, in that twenty to thirty range if we can help it. Um, and then if you throw Bearstow in, that allows Kawani to go to the bench. Bearstow starts, but you can still have Kawani to spell him. Furman and, and Lawal can split that forty minutes up at center, and both of them could be more effective, especially if they're not in foul trouble. So my hope is is that if if Joe Bamisil is is playing the rest of the year, that it just takes away enough of the load for everybody else that like a bell curve, they're going to become more effective the less they play as long as it's not too far less. If you can, if you get what I'm saying, yeah, I do. I mean, I think it, it, it's interesting. You have yet another player on the team who plays multiple positions, and I mean, you know. Bamisil, from what I understand, generally plays a, a two-three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he plays down too much at the four, but and we know, you know, Ryan Odom's system is is largely positionless. We've sit- seen situations where uh, I saw at a game where Jason Nelson came in and replaced Kawani Kawani. Now, obviously, Jason Nelson was not playing the four, but everybody else shuffled around and and made out a, a you know a roster out there. And 
I think we're looking at situations where, it, 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 like you said, it may be a little bit from Shulga. It may be a little bit from Bell. Maybe Bell slides down to the four at some place. Maybe Toby slides into the four. It just gives him another piece of this crazy puzzle he's put together of players who can play way more than one position. Oh, I, I think that's absolutely right. And again, it's going to be very interesting. Let us suppose for a moment that – that we do that we do get Barristow and Bamisil on the floor, the integration goes well, and they get scalding hot in conference play. That's gonna that's gonna pose an interesting evaluation for the committee because I I've, I've heard it all the time now. Oh, you can write off an at large bid; it's not gonna happen. I'm not even I'm not saying that, and I'll tell you why. There's a lot more quad one and quad two games in this conference this year than there have been in previous years. And let's suppose for a moment, I'll just throw out the scenario the three bid league guys said about VCU that that may very well end up coming true and that that they struggle in the non-conference because of the injury to Barristow, which is kind of what's happened. And then they go 16-2 and two in conference play because of the fact that you would throw Barristow and Bamisil in and all of a sudden – You've got an arsenal that that can overpower anybody. And look, they've they've struggled offensively. If you if you are a f- member of the VCU Good and the Bad and the Ugly group, you didn't see VCU by the numbers, which I threw out, uh, which I posted this morning for the first time this year, and I was shocked that they were 141st in offensive efficiency. I did not expect that. I thought I think we all thought it would be a lot better for this team, but this part, but some of that's due to these situations that we've had here. What Ryan Odom envisioned included both Mike, both Sean Barristow and Joe Bamisil on the floor, and the kind of offense he wants to run could be a lot more possible with those two guys in the lineup. And I just, I if this team gets scalding hot at the end of this non-conference and then in going into conference play, there are a lot of good teams in the conference this year. And there are a lot of games that are now, you know, quad one, quad two games that could be big opportunities for this team. So it's a very interesting situation. I have to say, if we really are getting both of them back either this weekend or the next, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. So I think you mentioned the three-bid league. They also tweeted out today, I mean, during the discussion of all this was going on, uh, they tweeted out, you know, VCU could be getting back two of their top three players just in time for conference play. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I would say at the very worst, two of their top four. Yes. And that is kind of insane because like you said, you mentioned earlier, Bamisil, you know, they were asking what's his ceiling. And I said, well, at the very least his floor, you know, from two years ago when he played from George Washington, his floor is third team all A-10. That's pretty good. Yep. And, you know, it's been two years since then. Maybe he's gotten better. Maybe he hasn't. But I think really that is his floor. And you got Sean Bairstow, who, by the way, I, I believe, stop me if I'm wrong, I believe he was uh, Mountain West at the very least. Uh, uh, he was second team, third team, something like that. second team all conference, yes. There you go. So you got, I mean, I don't know how many players – on the VCU roster, you could say right now are definitively better than these two guys. And we're getting them back just in time for conference play. This team could be 
far better than we've been looking at all season long. And 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 think about the fact that they didn't have these two players, and they still nearly got a quad one win against Iowa State. You know, they nearly knocked up. They took Memphis to overtime, and she really should have won the game in regulation. You know, Zeb Jackson missing that layup. They're they're struggling on offense, and they're one of the worst teams in the NCAA for turnover margin. They're three hundred twenty ninth in turnover margin, and to me, that's where the Bearstow thing comes in. Bearstow is absolutely a point forward. Absolutely. So he gets on the floor. You're going to have a 6'8 guy who can see over the defense, bringing the ball up the floor. It's going to be very hard to stop VCU from getting into their offense early. And I'll make this point about Joe Bamisil. He's third team all-conference, averaging 16 points a game on a GW team that had him and James Bishop, and those were the two big threats. And really... There wasn't many other guys on that team that could score or could cause you a real problem. So they were, yes, they got a lot of volume, but they also had teams constantly locking in on them and really giving them special attention to try to shut them down or restrain them or just make them terribly inefficient. That's not going to happen on this team because if you're going to if you're going to say, well, we're going to make darn sure Bamisil doesn't beat us, then you're going to be leaving opportunities for the likes of Max Shulga, Sean Barristow, Zeb Jackson, Jason Nelson, and and the front court guys too. So that that's not gonna that's not gonna work. So I think what we could see from Joe Bamisil is a much more efficient player than what we saw at George Washington. And again, that that's the driving thing here. This offense, in terms of offensive efficiency, according to Ken Pomeroy, is not where it's supposed to be. Not where we thought it was going to be. The defense has fallen off, but not as far as I kind of thought it might. And we're one of the slowest playing teams in the country, which is totally the opposite of what we thought we were going to get. Bamisil and Bearstow potentially flip all of that around. And, and this team may be completely unrecognizable to the one we've seen in the first 10 games just because of those two guys. And I got to tell and like I said, I'm excited at that prospect to see what happens because look this this team is still even if they don't had didn't get those two guys back they could still be a threat in the A10 they could go from being a threat in the A10 to the, being the favorite if these two guys are integrated in and it goes as well as I think it can go I completely 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 agree you uh you ready to wrap this up yes sir all right I want to thank everybody for listening out here in podcast land as we do this emergency pod. If you like what you hear and you want to help us out, choose some dinero. There is a link to the PayPal in the description on Podbean and all your other podcast platforms. We've appreciated all the support you gave us last year and all the support you've given us this year so far. And, you know, Lord willing, and I don't get called into work this Saturday. We will be live in the Good and the Bad and the Ugly group after the Temple game and then, of course, out in podcast land later that Saturday. And we'll see you then, and thank you for joining us here on Rams Rewind. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game, and thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.